Happy MLB opening day and happy Miami Marlins opening day eve as I record this just before the start of the MLB season. The Marlins put out their roster today, their 30-man roster, which will eventually be cut down to 28 in two weeks. That's something I'll talk about. I'm also going to touch on some of the decisions I liked, some that I disagreed with, some surprises. There's a little bit of everything with this 30-man roster, and I'm excited to get into it. That's what I'm going to focus on in this episode. Episode, and I'll start with the offensive players because that is a little bit less surprising overall. I know some people were frustrated to see Monte Harrison not make the cut. We knew that ahead of time before this roster was put out as it had been reported already. I think Monte Harrison will be up right after that six to seven day cutoff with his service time being delayed if he is not up here in the major leagues for six days from opening day. It might not be six days on the dot because they might not want to make it that obvious, but I like to think that service time played a large part in that decision. He'll be able to get some more at-bats and just get a little bit more comfortable and ready to go for when Monte Harrison will be called back up. Not sure exactly what the timeline will be, like I said, but I expect him to be in the bigs relatively soon. Besides that, you know, the Marlins didn't have any options left with Magnera Sierra, so they had to keep him on the big league roster. I don't know what is going to happen with him because ultimately you could make the case that he is the least useful player on this roster right now, and offensive player that is. And you know, there might be a demand for him elsewhere, but speedy slap hitters really just don't play in this game anymore to the degree of something that you're going to give something up for a guy like that. He'll get claimed on waivers, don't get me wrong, but I think the Marlins would be happy to get an Austin Dean type of return for Magnara Sierra at this point. We'll see what they decide to do, especially because you cannot pinch run. I had tweeted that before about maybe the impact he could have as a pinch runner in extra innings. He can be a pinch runner, but in that situation where you have a man on second base, the last out before that inning for your team is going to be the guy that's on second base. So I think Craig Mish pointed out a pretty funny joke and basically said, unless he's due up with two outs and he strikes out on purpose, there's no way that you can really use that to your advantage. So that's something that hurts a little bit and hurts the value of Sierra. He does help as a late inning replacement defensively because of the struggles of Jonathan VR and Harold Ramirez in the outfield. So that is something that he offers, but that's also something that Lewis Brinson can offer once he's back. So we'll see what happens in that regard. As for the rest of the offense in the lineup, it was interesting to see Garrett Cooper listed as an infielder. I think we're going to see him DH mostly. I talked about it on the previous podcast that I would have liked to have seen him in the outfield and VR in the DH spot. It seems like the Marlins want to see how acclimated VR can get to the outfield. It might be a trade value thing as well because if you stick VR in the DH spot, teams are going to be less inclined to give up something more for a guy that might not be able to play defense for them. Now VR playing center field, if he's able to put up some good offensive numbers, it helps the Marlins with trade bait because we know what he can do offensively, right? We've seen it. He's a speedster. He can hit for power, steals bases. He hits for a decent average. I'd like to see him walk a little bit more, but overall a really good offensive player and a guy that plenty of teams will want down the stretch. If we see more buyers this year, we'll have to see what the trade deadline pulse is in a shortened season like this, but there's really no disputing the fact that putting VR in the field does help him with his trade value. And that is something that I, you know, I didn't consider 
when I was talking about where I would like to put him, if I'm objectively thinking about what makes the Marlins the best team in terms of playing the best defense they can and the best team offensively, I think that's with Jonathan VR in the DH spot. But if we're thinking long term, might as well see what he's got in the outfield and see you know if that can boost his value. Or even if you just have a guy that can play in the outfield, maybe he'll surprise. He hasn't even played 100 innings in the outfield, so maybe he can make some strides. But from what I've seen in his limited experience, it does not look too encouraging in terms of whether he'll be above average out there. But again, athletic player, maybe he'll learn. Maybe he'll get better, but a cavernous Marlins Park, even though they brought the walls in, does make me a little bit nervous with a guy like Jonathan VR. Garrett Cooper's an average corner outfielder and is very capable out there as well, but we'll see how they do it with that right now and how that goes for the Marlins. The good thing is they have a lot of roster flexibility, a lot of players that can play multiple positions, so if VR doesn't pan out, there's plenty of contingency plans for that in the outfield. Aguilar at first, no surprise. Diaz at second, no surprise. Anderson at third, no surprise. Same with Rojas at short. I love John Birdie as a super utility guy that can play the outfield, play pretty much any spot in the infield you want. And then catcher, Jorge Alfaro, Francisco Cervelli, no surprise, no surprise. But Chad Wallach, I do think that Chad Wallach is a solid backup catcher. Just found it fascinating that the Marlins wanted to carry three. We'll see if that's something that they continue to do as you cut the roster down to 28 and then eventually 26. That might be one of the areas where the Marlins trim the fat. Wallach is not a bad bench bat, but I think you could replace his offensive value. He really offers value as a defensive catcher, but Cervelli does that already. Kind of an unnecessary roster spot moving forward. That'll be an interesting to see what the Marlins decide there. The outfield, I touched on it with VR. That was only somewhat of a surprise, even though we knew that was coming, but that's the only really toss-up there was because we knew Corey Dickerson's going to be in the outfield. Harold Ramirez is an outfielder, not the best defensively, but has been working hard out there. He's fast. If he can improve his routes and his reads, he could be a very solid outfielder. We know Sierra is a plus outfielder, and then VR. There's no disputing the fact that this offense will be vastly better I'm interested to see how some of these positions set up defensively. Eisen Diaz is a sure-handed second baseman, sometimes a little bit too much of a flair for the dramatics. We saw him rush a double play against the Braves where the throw got away for the first out to Miguel Rojas. You'd like to see him slow it down a little bit. Again, when he first came up last year, it seemed like the game was a little quick for him. Hopefully he slows the game down a little bit. And we know the rest of the defense is solid. Miguel Rojas was one of the better defensive shortstops in the game last year. Top five to six easily if you look at any of the advanced metrics. Brian Anderson, a really good third baseman. And then we'll have to see about Aguilar at first base. But Garrett Cooper is more than capable there as well. So I'm very excited to see which players can make strides. Jorge Alfaro is looking really comfortable offensively. And not that he looked uncomfortable last year, but this is a guy that was a perennial top prospect. And he hasn't been a bust by any means. But when you consider the fact that he was a top 50 prospect with the Phillies, he did not totally reach that potential. I believe he started with the Rangers, actually, where he was a top prospect as well. And the fact that he didn't totally reach that potential made the Phillies much more willing to give him up in part of that JT Real Muto trade. But he could be a late bloomer. We know that he is a freak athlete, one of the fastest players on the Marlins, a top 10% runner in the league. I think he's got the 20th fastest sprint speed in the entire league for a giant catcher with big pop. He is an athletic freak, cannon for an arm. 
there you can see why he was a top prospect. We'll see if he can put it together as a late bloomer. He's looked really good as of late. So hopefully Francisco Cervelli can have a good impact on him defensively and even with the mental part of the game behind the dish. The rotation, not much surprise there. Sandy, Caleb, Jose Urania, Pablo Lopez, Alicia Hernandez. That was the only thing that was up in the air. Maybe Hernandez, maybe Neidert, maybe Duggar. All three of them are on the ball club. So even though Elysia Hernandez is the guy in the five spot right now, we could easily see that shuffle around. Nick Neidert getting a spot start or Duggar. I'd much rather see Neidert get the spot start. And I'm really excited to see what both Hernandez and Neidert have in the tank and see what they can prove. Nice, healthy competition between the two should be pretty fun. And Hernandez was... Pretty good at times last year. When you look at the numbers as a whole, they're a bit underwhelming. But if you look start by start, he had a few outings where he got tagged. But then he had a few other outings where he was lights out. Then you look at the PCL stats, they're fantastic. And that's a hitter heaven, as I always say on here. And he is one of the few pitchers that was fantastic in the PCL. Nick Neidert, you know the story with him. He's healthy finally. He looked really good against the Braves. Did a great job of disguising the ball. Now getting to really see him from the fancy Fox Sports Florida cameras and seeing how well he hides the ball, how deceptive he is, you can see why he doesn't need that velocity to be good at this level. And then I'm going to get into the bullpen next because that's actually a really unique and maybe the most surprising part of everything of all these roster decisions was that bullpen. But first, let me remind you about CBDMD. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent, professional athlete, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable chair like I do, you're going to be a little bit sore, right? And Icy Hot just is temporary for me. Advil, I get tired of popping those pills all the time. I feel like I'm shredding my stomach inside out. CBDMD is a perfect, easy, safe solution to your pain. There's two different kinds of creams that they use. You have the CBD Freeze with menthol. It's an award-winning product, offers instant cooling relief for your muscles, joints, and a convenient and easy-to-use roller or squeeze tube. And then my personal favorite is the CBD Recover. It combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. I used to put just Arnica cream on my arm to get through when I was playing baseball. Now you combine CBD with Arnica and vitamin B6. It is an incredible mix and you can get 25% off by going to cbdmd.com. That's a lot of letters I know. cbdmd.com and use promo code LOCKEDONMLB for 25% off of your first order for the superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Give it a try and let me know what you think. So I'll let you know what I think about this Marlins bullpen. There's some surprises big time, I think, and that was the most fascinating part of this 30-player active roster because there was a few shoe-ins that we knew, and even some of the shoe-ins are just exciting to see them get an opportunity, like Sterling Sharp. Sterling Sharp's a living example of why the Rule 5 draft exists. He wasn't getting the right opportunity where he was before with the Nationals, comes to the Marlins, makes the ball club, and now could be an essential piece for the Marlins as a middle reliever, long reliever, and even a guy that makes a spot start. So great to see. Congratulations for Sterling Sharp. But some of the other guys that we maybe going into camp didn't think were locks, but really emerged as almost guarantees to get into the bullpen, Brad Boxberger, even going into the peak of COVID when we didn't know when baseball was coming back, 
At that point, we had all agreed, I would say, that Boxberger had probably shown enough to be in the Marlins bullpen. Now he's looking like a legitimate back-end guy for the Marlins to pitch maybe high-leverage 7th, 8th inning opportunities or even maybe occasional save opportunities. I'll get into the closer role in a second. Steven Tarpley, offseason acquisition, may be more important than we thought if Adam Conley continues to struggle as badly as he has. He has not looked good. He gave up, we don't even know how, I think it was four earned runs, but seven total runs when he came in two days ago with the Brave against the Braves. That was discouraging. I know fans are clamoring for Adam Conley to be removed from the roster. I think the Marlins want to make sure, they want to be positive that it's time to move on from Adam Conley before they do. I'm not saying that he could be a Brad Hand or Andrew Miller type, but he is a high-velocity, tall, lanky lefty with really nasty stuff, and the only thing holding him back is command issues. All three of those pitchers fit that description, but it doesn't mean every pitcher that fits that description is going to turn into a lights-out left-handed reliever in the back end of the bullpen. So Adam Conley, even if he does figure it out eventually elsewhere, it doesn't mean that the Marlins were too quick to give up on him. It might mean that he needed a change of scenery. For example, Andrew Miller, he, the Marlins gave up on him. They tried him as a starter. They tried him as a reliever. He just wasn't getting it. He goes to Boston, and there was a great pitching coach there. I'm forgetting his name, but I'm sure you can Google the story. And it was a pitching coach that was pretty much known for developing tall left-handed pitchers that were a little bit slow or behind in their maturation and development. He helped Andrew Miller find a repeatable arm slot, repeatable mechanics, and have better command because that's usually the biggest struggle for tall, lanky pitchers, lefty or righty. And It worked out for Andrew Miller. Sometimes you need a change of scenery. I think the Marlins are trying to make sure and be 100% positive that it's time to move on from Adam Conley before they do just because of how good his pure stuff is and some of the flashes that he showed in the past, having a couple really good stretches as a reliever. To me, I think Adam Conley has showed that he needs a change of scenery. He needs a fresh start somewhere. We'll see what happens. But ultimately, with the next two weeks, the Marlins have to dwindle down the roster by two spots in two weeks. And I feel like Adam Conley could be one of those first guys that goes and then Marlon's going to have a tough decision with who that second guy might be because there will be several players coming back off the IL, including Matt Joyce, including Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison knocking on the door to be called up. So some roster spots that need to be opened. Some other relievers that were surprising to me was Jordan Holloway. That one, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. Right, Jordan Holloway has not pitched a game above high A, and now he's going to make his major league debut. He was used as a starting pitcher exclusively in the minor leagues, and that's where he struggled a little bit. He's six foot six. He's battled some injuries. He has some issues, just like I was talking about the tall lefties. He's a tall righty who has issues repeating his mechanics. Issues repeating your mechanics are a problem whether you're a reliever or you're a starter because it's just harder when you have a lankier, longer body. It's also harder to disguise the ball and it's harder to be deceptive. But for Jordan Holloway, he has an opportunity now to really shift his focus, right? He struggled as a starter because of the fact that he did battle with those command issues. He did battle some injuries coming back off of Tommy John. And as I mentioned on Twitter, Moving Holloway to the bullpen mitigates both the injury risk and the command issues. I'm not saying he's instantly going to be a great reliever, but 
part of the issue for him as well was he really only has two solid major league pitches right now, and that's his fastball, which sat at 97 as a starter. You figure as a reliever, he can go max effort one or two innings. He should have no problem routinely touching triple digits, and then he has a plus curveball that he can go to. You'd like to see him incorporate a third pitch, but right now, those are the only two major league level pitches, but for a reliever, you really only need two pitches to be a legitimate major league reliever, and Holloway could end up turning into a closer type down the road if he refines his stuff. This is a smart move by the Marlins because they don't have to protect him now in the Rule 5. He would be up to be drafted in the Rule 5 because the Marlins had to add him to the roster just past this past year before. They added him to the 40-man rather than Will Stewart, and Will Stewart didn't even get selected in the Rule 5 draft. So the Marlins dodged a bullet there with Stewart. They add Holloway to this bullpen, and we'll see if the Marlins try and ease him in to Major League opportunities or where his first outing will be. I'm hoping it'll be in somewhat of a blowout one way or the other so he can get his feet wet. As for the back end, well, actually, before I get to the back end, another surprise, wasn't shocking, but it's surprising, that's what we all wanted to see, was Nick Neidert making the bullpen. And as I said earlier, he probably will be making some spot starts, but very exciting just to see him on the roster, and we'll see how the Marlins decide to integrate him into ball games. The back end is where I'm actually excited. I think this could be a sneaky, really good back end to the bullpen. Mentioned Boxberger, who could pick up some saves himself. Ryan Stanek, who was the opener slash closer at times for the Rays last year. He struggled when he came over to Miami. He was really good with Tampa before. He does have great stuff. I'm not concerned about Stanek and Craig Mish also said, mentioning him the second time on the podcast now, but Craig Mish also said that he would not be surprised to see Stanek emerge as the go-to closer or go-to high leverage guy for the Marlins and that he was very impressed with his stuff in the Marlins summer camp and in spring training. I don't think it was a fluke that Stanek was really good in Tampa Bay. I do think it was a fluke that he struggled in Miami. I expect Stanek to be one of the key cogs in the back end of this bullpen here. Alex Vesia, another pleasant surprise. We knew that he is part of the Marlins' future in the bullpen. Maybe another guy with closer potential. I love all these high-ceiling arms in the Marlins' bullpen. Instead of just having a rotation of guys that didn't make it as starters, even though Holloway is a guy that didn't make it as a starter, he's a high-ceiling guy that could still make it as a starter down the road, but right now you're getting a lot more out of him as a reliever. I like that much more than just rotating guys who failed as starters and don't have just high leverage back end of the bullpen stuff like Holloway and like Vesia do. So that's another great left-hander in Vesia to mitigate some of the loss if Adam Connolly ends up being let go down the road. Yimmy Garcia, offseason acquisition, looked really good against the Braves. He's pretty nasty. Dodgers fans seem to complain about him a lot. I saw a lot of like good luck with him, Marlins fans. His numbers look pretty good. I know that doesn't usually tell the whole story. Maybe he was a little unlucky. Maybe he choked a couple times. The Dodgers choke a lot, so I'm surprised that they're just all over Yimmy Garcia. We'll see how he handles some high leverage situations because he is another guy that will be in those late inning tough types of spots that we'll have to pitch out of jams. I'm sure of it. And then Brandon Kinsler, the prized bullpen acquisition in the offseason, signing Brandon Kinsler to a deal with a club option next year. Excited to see what Kinsler can do. He will probably be the go-to closer at first, but I expect the Marlins to not really name a closer. Kind of like a page out of the Rays playbook, 
They're going to probably go to Nick Anderson. The Rays are most of the time. He might lead the team in saves. But I think the Marlins are going to do a similar thing with that is maybe Kinsler leads the team in saves, but I don't expect him to, you know, be the only exclusive closer. I think baseball is getting away from that a little bit unless you have just a superstar like Edwin Diaz was two years ago or like some of these other just career closers that have showed that they can just come in and shut the door like Kimbrell did before. You know, he regressed a little bit. But overall, the way the game is today, you can make the case that the biggest three outs are in the eighth inning if you're facing the middle of a lineup. If you're facing Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, and Freddie Freeman, for example, you're going to want to put your best bullpen arm against those guys and then figure it out in the ninth rather than putting somebody inferior in in the eighth just because the traditional way of baseball is to close with your closer in the ninth. So that is going to be something that I could very much see Don Mattingly deploying and using to his advantage is the fact that the Marlins have so many high leverage back of the bullpen arms and basically just having a passing of the torch with the closer role because you can make the case in each different situation that one of these back end quote unquote guys could be better in that eighth inning situation or seventh inning like Brandon Kinsler for example fantastic splits against lefties so if he's going up against a couple middle of the order lefties I'd rather put him in than put in a Ryan Stanek so those are the types of things that now give the Marlins flexibility. And I would say that's the word of the season for the Marlins this year. Besides improvement, it's flexibility. The Marlins finally have flexibility. Instead of having a rotating door of 16 outfielders, just a revolving door of just guys that are not part of the future. I've I've said that so many times in the past. Now, the Marlins have Several young players making their way up to the bigs. They have veterans that can play multiple positions, young guys that can play multiple positions, bench players that can spot start, relievers that can make spot starts, several different guys that can close. I'm very excited to see how this Swiss Army knife of a roster is going to work in Don Mattingly's favor and how creative he's going to get in this sprint of a season. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please, if you have a second, leave me a review. Let me know how I'm doing. It always helps, and the feedback is great. Really excited for this season. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Let's go Marlins. Tomorrow is the beginning of the season. We made it all the way here. Let's see what the Marlins can do this year. Looking forward to running this sprint with you.